0: All right. Here I am. I had a dream about this on Friday night. Got up here and I opened up my mouth and. <laughs> Very embarrassing. I woke up in a panic. But, well, you guys got anything going on in the next 24 minutes? You mind if I share with you? Um, Scott's not here. I'm not the pastor. My name is Jeremy Wilson. Uh, I got four kids the little girls that were running around here this morning. Um, Scott, our pastor, Scott, he's in Colorado. He's headed up there. Actually, he's probably in New Mexico right now. He honked yesterday as he drove by my house on the way out and uh, said so he would spend the night in New Mexico. So um, Today I wanted to talk, you know, Scott last week, he really laid out a vision for our church and, uh, you know, it's his vision. I've, I've heard him, you know, talk about these things many times over the years. We've been going here. Since 2006. And uh, I just really felt like it was important enough that I wanted to talk about it again this week. Just kind of camp out there another week. And, uh, you know, because in a sense, I feel like, uh, you know, Scott, he's been doing this for a long time now, plugging away. Um, Is there anybody who's been here since the very beginning? How how long ago was that, Bonka? And that was in the 90s, right? Yeah. So he's, Scott's been plugging away since the 90s. And uh, when I think of Scott, I get this vision of a guy who's in a storm on a ship and he's lashed himself to the mast. And he's going to be there until it either sinks or it starts, uh, the storm passes and he sails on off into the blue. Um, And I just really think, you know, all of us, we, we have the opportunity to help him see this guy who's been lashed to the mast and come alongside him and say, all right, let's get through this storm. And I know his vision for this church uh, is to be somewhere around 200 or so. Um, He doesn't want a huge church. You know, as soon as we get that big, he would like to multiply and maybe have two vineyards here in New Braunfels. Um, But I know he definitely has a heart to see this city change and to see it change through this church. Um, So I just wanted to talk about that a little bit today. And mostly I'm going to be talking um, based on his sermon last Sunday. Uh, but I want to read this verse first. This is uh, from Hebrews 10. It says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I love this verse. This is, this is really why church is special, because together we can spur one another on to love and good deeds. You know, when I see the generosity of Jeff and Inga and what Inga's doing with the school and just the spirit of generosity that they have, Uh, when I see the generosity of George and Cindy Bocorny, you know, they're back in the back today. Um, Their kids have already gone off to college, and they're sitting in there with the preschool or the babies, actually. Um, When I see the joy and the kindness in Chuck Hall's face, you know, all these things inspire us. When we hear Jonah up here playing, when we see the... Righteous Rebellion of Steve, and all his things he's messing with, all of it just <laughs> inspires you. The intellectualism of Otto, and when, it, when he talks, he's talked quite a bit at our life group, and just the, things he, the deep things he shares about the scripture. The humor of Tom. Silent Tom, but he's very funny. You never know it unless he opened his mouth. And Mike, his, his concern for the young boys in this, in this church. Um, and that they grow up to be godly men. All these things affect us. And all those things are little pieces of me. I now carry those around. Um, One dramatic example of this is uh, Victor. uh, Victor and Megan, they just moved up to uh, Kentucky. And uh, uh, Victor told me, you know, we were always talking. He's like, hey, why don't you read this book? Uh, It was a book by Malcolm Gladwell. And in the book, um, the author, he's talking about the difference one of the differences between poor people and rich people is rich people will teach their kids to challenge authority, and uh, and poor people often don't know that, and so they're very, um, they humble themselves before authority figures. So he was giving an example, he was saying, like, let's say someone who's been around this their whole life, someone who's been wealthy, if they go to the doctor and the doctor says something, they might not take it as gospel. They'll challenge them, they'll push them, they'll ask questions, whereas You know, maybe someone who's grown up poor their whole life, they've always kind of had their head down, they haven't challenged authority, they'll just take whatever he says. Um, So I was just, I just thought that was interesting, and I just kind of tucked it away in the corner of my mind. Well, our our daughter Margaret, um, she, one day her knee just swelled up to the size of a softball, and she couldn't walk, and uh, we took her to the hospital, we're there all day, it was like a torturous day. Um, Otto and Christy, and I think uh, Kimberly and Tom watched our kids that day, and Me and Jen were there with Margaret, and just sad to see this little girl in pain, you know. And so they come back, and they're like, well, you know, we think it could be this, we think it could be this, but we want to put her under and tap her knee and draw fluid. And all of a sudden, boom, that example from Malcolm Gladwell popped in my head, you know. And I'm like, well, why? And so I just started asking them questions, and basically come to find out it was an unnecessary procedure. Um, So 10 minutes later, we're walking out of there. And uh, she was fine. But all that to say, that's a little piece that I got from Victor, you know? And now I'll carry that with me. So what I get from George and Cindy, from Chuck, from all you guys, they are little pieces that are creating who I am and who I'll be uh, by the time I die. And we do that for each other. And so it's important that we come together and we meet together um, and not forsake meeting together. And I know a lot of times... You know, there have been periods in my life where I've not gone to church. Um, And I think really a lot of people in our culture, they're kind of going that way. I work with a couple of people who are believers, but, you know, they are just giving up on church, you know, for valid reasons. But they're still missing out on that, what I was just talking about, um, that spurring one another on toward loving good works. And another thing, too, sometimes you come and, you know, we're people. We're going to offend each other. Our rough edges are going to rub up against each other. But even in that, God is working to make us better. And if we stick through it, if we stick with each other, then there's going to be this confidence that comes from our relationship, deep relationships that have been through hard times, been through pain, um, been through mistrust, um, but we've gotten through it, and we're still here together, standing side by side. Uh, There's something powerful to that. And I really think... um, Two, in our culture, you know, it's very easy to just go from church to church to church. And sometimes there are necessary endings. That's uh, what Henry Cloud calls them, necessary endings. There are times where you're moving in one direction, maybe it's just time to move on, or you're actually moving out of state. Um, But as long as I'm here, I'm committed to River City Vineyard, and I'm going to be here. And I know that there are going to be things that I'll get upset along the way, but I'm going to be here. It's almost like a marriage. You know, you have to have that tenacity. I'm going to be here no matter what. Um, And I think, too, you know, uh, just the worship time. is. We've always been really lucky here at this church with great worship leaders. For the size of our church, to have the quality of music we do. And it's just such a peaceful time. Um, You know, the times where I'm not chasing my kids around. Uh, and I actually do have time to sit down and just... There's times where I just feel soaking the presence of God. You know, you just feel that power. Um, and then there's other times, uh, maybe where I'm not so worn out. I stand up and I'm singing. And when we, when we worship God, we believe that there's an audience who's listening to us. We are singing to someone. We're not singing to each other or for Jonah's benefit. We're singing to God who's actually listening to us in the throne room. Uh, and then the sermons. You know, a lot of times... I think it's funny, um, I've been listening to Scott preach since 2006, I was telling Jen last night, you know, the one thing I can remember him preaching about is uh, a couple years ago he told a story of running a stop sign that's in our neighborhood and there was a cop there who gave him a ticket, like that's what I remember, all of his sermons, <laughs> right? And I think of that every time I go, I see that stop sign, I'm like, stop at the sign, you know, there could be a cop. So uh, that, that's my big takeaway, but... <laughs> And really, you know, when we stand up here, it was just some guy talking. But what happens? Invisibly, Scott's values have become my values. You know, he talks over and over about um, being more committed to the kingdom culture than the culture wars. And at first, I oh, it just rubbed me the wrong way. You know, I was very uh, staunch conservative, listening to Rush Limbaugh, Glenn Beck, everybody. You know, and when he would say that, oh, it just get me. But look what happened over time, you know, one trip to Palestine later and here I am. I agree with him. <laughs> so, but it happened invisibly. I couldn't name like any specific words or phrases that he said, you know, but his values have become my values. Um, and that's what happens just over time. Um, and even what he, what he talked about last week with transformation, that is a val- that's become a value of mine. And I can't point to any specific words, but I know that it's because of Scott. And what he's talked about. Um, these are just a couple of quotes. I went and listened to Scott's sermon on uh, iTunes. And these are just a couple of quotes from last week. As we are transformed, our world around us begins to change. And that, that's, I don't know, God just, this, that phrase has been, not in those exact words, but that idea, that concept has been front and center in my head for the last oh, probably a year or so, um, that we actually have the power. We're not victims. We're not powerless victims passively receiving what life gives to us. But we can be active in creating uh, our world. We can be active in bringing a little slice of heaven to New Braunfels, Texas, or to your workplace, to your marriage, to your kids, to your kids' school. As we are transformed, changed from within, our world begins to change. And it's that same concept when I was just talking about, you know, how we rub off on each other. We rub off on the people around us. When Think about it, When you see a generous act, you know, there's this guy at work. He always buys us breakfast tacos. Um, and for a while, I was just like, man, why is he always, he always buys his breakfast tacos. And then uh, all of a sudden, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to buy breakfast tacos for everybody. Like his generosity affected me. I'm a tightwad. So that was a big deal. <laughs> but now I do it. I'll buy breakfast tacos for those guys every now and then. Um, so he's affected me. You know, when we, when we do acts of generosity, it affects the people around us. I think, um, Lindsay, you had a great story at the Starbucks when you went, do you want to tell that story? You Remember that? (laughs) It was when, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Ha <laughs> 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 because I did just I mean like I as I drove off I was like, Oh i s I'm supposed to get oh man, I felt so awful, but I really didn't just had to sit in the presence of the gift that God had given me and had to accept this this gift that, you know, I didn't deserve and but we get that point And even just you telling me that story, you know, like I'm gonna remember that, I'm gonna do that one day. Um <laughs> Transformation is what God really wants for us. Uh, that was another thing Scott said last week. And really, if you think about churches, churches are in the people transformation business. Um, another thing Scott said last week is our attention is not on our bad behavior, on others' bad behavior. It's on God. We fix our eyes on God. We, you know, um, and actually, I was reading something this week. Um, scientists have basically proven what Scott said. Um, they did this experiment where they, they had people come in, and they, had, they gave them five words, and they had to unscramble these five words. And if the, if the words they gave them were negative, like uh, they, her, bother, see, usually, you know they had to make a sentence out of that. Um, and if they had that negative word, bother her, um, then the people would come out, and they would, the researcher would say, all right, I'm going to be in this other room. As soon as you're done, you get a sentence, come bring it to me, and uh, I'll see what you did. So, but then they had the researcher talking to somebody and not making eye contact, just to see what the people would do. So if they had negative words in there, the people would come in and they would just interrupt the researcher and say, I'm done. But if they had positive words in there, like they, her, respect, see usually, just that word respect, people would, they would come into the room where the researcher was busy, and they would sit there for up to 10 minutes waiting. It was just that little word, you know, just one word affected their behavior. And so that's the same with us. When our attention is focused on our faults, our flaws, our bad behavior, when our attention is fixed on, i got to fix this about myself, then that's, that's what our mind is focused on. Those are the words we're thinking about. And you're going to hit whatever you're thinking about. You're going to hit what you're focused on. And so that's why I believe Scott said, our attention's not on our bad behavior. It's not on others' bad behavior. It's on God. Because really, that's the only way transformation is possible. When we're, when we're in the Scriptures, when we're focusing on Him, Those words are going to be a part of our our mindset. Um, And they found also, I'm just going to read this, likewise, exposure to words related to the elderly makes people walk more slowly. Words related to professors make people smarter at the game of trivial pursuit. And words related to soccer hooligans make people dumber. And these effects don't even depend on your consciously reading the words. The same effects can occur when the words are presented subliminally. That is, flash on a screen for just a few hundredths of a second. Too fast for your conscious mind to register them. But some part of the mind does see these words, and it sets in motion behaviors that psychologists can measure. When I read that, I was thinking, you know, like think about how many times you've been reading the Bible, and you're just like, man, I'm not getting anything out of it. But you're putting those words in there. You're putting truth and life into your mind, into your subconscious, and it's going to affect your behavior. I think that's, uh, God knew that. Obviously, he, he created this whole process. And so I think that's why Bible reading is such an important part. Why he gave us the Bible and why it needs to be such an important part of our transformation. Uh, The next thing Scott said is we can't do it. Our job is to allow God to do it. Any of you who have dieted before know that this is absolutely true. You can't do it. You know, when I stood up here a year ago, I was about 40 pounds lighter because I would just come off a diet. And I was so pumped up. <laughs> I'm gonna be skinny for the rest of my life. No, <laughs> it didn't quite work out that way. So I've got issues. I'm gonna try, I'm still trying to figure that one out. But, uh my wife, on the other hand, has stayed faithful and convicts me every time I'm eating. I just look at her eating salad and just. <laughs> um, and then again. <laughs> yeah. uh, here's Scott again from last week. Focus on the kingdom culture, not the culture wars. And I think really what Scott's getting at with this is the only way things are going to happen, let's say your guy, whoever it is, in the next election, you know, we got another election coming up. Your guy, whoever it is, let's say he wins, and he puts everything in a place that you want. It's not going to change things, you know, because four years later, eight years later, somebody else is going to come in and over throw everything he did. And really, you know, the people that disagree with your guy, they're going to spend four to eight years just ticked off and upset. And even if things, let's say things magically became better, I think we've seen like nobody gives them credit for it, you know? I mean, it's, it's very hard for me to give credit to Bill Clinton for what he did with the deficit. I really don't think he had anything to do with it. He was just there, but he did it. (laughs) <laughs> so, <laughs> and I, I, you know, and then the guy that I voted for, he put us in the hole, big hole. Um, so I, I guess I admitted that I'm, I'm baby steps. But typically, <laughs> typically, most people aren't going to admit it, you know. So we're not going to win. The only way we're gonna, the only way we're gonna see true change is to change people's hearts, right? And think about it. If you can change. If you change yourself and your neighbor sees it and he's affected by your positive example and then he starts treating his wife better, that's change. Your neighborhood now has started to transform. And that's infinitely more valuable than your guy winning the election. Uh, Not my will, but yours be done, God. Uh, And here's a neat little uh, quote. I think this is from 2 Corinthians. And we all who, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever increasing glory. That's essentially saying um, what Scott was saying: when we focus on God, we're changed. When we contemplate the Lord's glory, we're being transformed into His image. And what is that image? What are we? What are we becoming? We're going from death to life, from hate to love, from lies to truth. I'm being transformed from a selfish person into a giving person. I'm being also being transformed from passivity into creating in the image of God. From pride to humility. From depravity to beauty. From violence to peace. We're called to be transformed. From unhappiness to gratitude. From emptiness to joy. From isolation to community. From foolishness to wisdom. We are being transformed as a community from fear to courage. We're being transformed ultimately from darkness to light. Uh, And this is uh, from the message. This is the verse that Scott read last week. And it really stuck a a chord with me. Um, I'm going to read it again here and then comment on it. Uh, So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. I really like the first part of that where he's talking about your everyday ordinary life. Because where does this transformation happen? In the movies, it happens at this pivotal moment. It's very dramatic and there's music playing behind it. And it just gives you the chills or you cry. But in real life, it's just everyday ordinary You wake up to Groundhog's Day. You can feel that way sometimes. Same day as today's is going to be the same as yesterday. Kids are still crying and got to go to work. Don't have enough time. But it's in that ordinariness. That ordinariness is actually a gift from God. Our ordinary life is a gift from God. Even the language we use. You know, you think about the power of words and how incredible words are that we can communicate with each other. Like there's nothing more ordinary than words, right? Right? That's what we use every day. There's something about them when they're put in the right combination that can just make magic. Um, And there's even comical stuff in there. You think about pantalones or burro, you know? Those are cool words. (laughs) And they're fun to say. You know, if you're in a bad mood, say pantalones. (laughs) And maybe you'll be happy. (laughs) But it's just ordinary, right? Or when you're in the shower, you know? You take a shower every day. But think about water. You know, water can be ice, steam, mist, vapor. It's in our bodies invisibly. It's, what is this magical substance, you know? And every day we get in there under the shower. It's a magic experience. <laughs> Sleeping, eating. You know, I had coffee this morning. Is it any better than a cup of coffee? I mean, uh, seriously. <laughs> that's, some, that's some good stuff. It's very cheap and you can drink it every day. <laughs> and when you drink it, you feel pleasure. And that pleasure is directly, you can directly tie that pleasure to God. He created that for your pleasure. So it's in our ordinary, it's in our ordinary days. At our, at, our, at our jobs, each one of us, honestly, should be the best person. Maybe not the most talented, the most skilled, but in terms of compassion. Are we going to be backstabbing as we climb the ladder are we going to have this abundance mentality god's love is so big there's room for both of us here and you love that person even though you're competing for maybe a position and you show them something that nobody else would ever show them or you have grace you know if your job is anything like mine there's a lot of mistakes made and it's sometimes fun to beat up on the people that make the mistakes but what if we are the most graceful people and we show we have received God's grace, and we in turn give that grace to people at work. That's really who God's called us to be. And that's how your workplace will transform. That's how your world will transform. When you take these things that God has given you, and you in turn give them to others. And it's all ordinary, everyday life. Uh, and I'm going to read, uh, this is my favorite author. I think I've read him every time I've been up here. Um, but this is Mark Helpern from a book called Memoir. From Ant Proof Case. And uh, the the character is just an old guy. He's sitting on a hill in Brazil, and he's writing down his memoirs. And uh, he talks about uh, banality here. And I had to look that up in the dictionary, so I'll tell you what that means. Um, Ordinary, just common, nothing special about it. Um, From my position in the garden, in a fume of early light, I cannot understand the notion of banality. So many people spend so much time protecting themselves from the ordinary, And the warn that it seems half the world runs on a defensive principle that robs it of the tested and true. But if the truth is common, must it be rejected? If the ordinary is beautiful, must it be scorned? They needn't be, and are not, by those who are free enough to see anew. The human soul itself is quite ordinary, existing by the billion. And on a crowded street, you pass souls a thousand times a minute. And yet within the soul is a graceful, shining song, more wonderful than the stunning cathedrals that stand over the countryside, unique and alone. The simple songs are the best. They last into time as inviol- inviolably as the light. And essentially, that's just a really poetic way of saying what Scott said last week when he read uh, Romans 12.1. And now this is uh, the last slide. Uh, Scott really laid out a vision for what he wants for our church. Uh, he said he would love to see everybody in community groups. And I know for me, community group, our community group has meant everything to me. Um, and I'll just share with you one special time we had. It was one night where um, we all got together, and I think I was frustrated with work. Otto was frustrated with work. Uh, Tom was looking for a job, and we were all just kind of sitting there. And uh, we started talking about our failures in life. And uh, each couple went through and just shared, you know, places they had failed. And as we did that, the other couples, said, you know, encouraged us. I said, you know what? I've done that too. I've, I've failed in that area. And it was just the holiest night where all, you know, people are sharing things that they've carried around with them for years. You know, I wish we wouldn't have done this and gotten in debt, and we're still in debt today. And then everybody is coming around them, encouraging them. You know, the, because of the size that can't happen in this gathering, moments like that can only happen in a life group, and they're special. Um, so I would just encourage you guys to join a life group because that's really where. The rubber meets the road. That's where you're going to be challenged um, time and again, and you're going to be encouraged and loved. And those are the people, you know, like when we, went, when we took Margaret to the hospital, that story I was telling about earlier, you know, it was the Shirley's and the Gallagher's who watched our kids there. And, you know, we're all in life group together. It gives you that group, that community support, especially if you don't have family. You know, we don't, our, our family is uh, all out of state. And uh, when you don't have family around, you know, you need that support network. Um, so I just encourage you guys to join a community group. And the power of those moments is what's going to multiply our church. Because, you know, if if my neighbor came and saw the love in our life group, that that's going to affect them very powerfully. Your neighbor sees it in your group. Uh, and then secondly, uh, Scott talked about how he'd like us all to be on a ministry team. Um, and, you know, I'm... I'll just use myself as an example. I'm not really. I like my kids a lot. Actually, I love my kids. But in general, kids, I don't really like as a group. Um, But I went. I took a bunch of kids, six of our kids, to uh, the Vineyard um, Youth Retreat, and there was 170 kids there in the heat. I mean, it really sounded awful. But when I was there. I had an incredible time. And I was like, you know what? Like, God taught me something through this. And actually, it was pretty cool because I had the two worst kids in the whole camp, like, undoubtedly, in my cabin. And so 24-7, I had to stay on top of these guys. And it was very stressful. And afterwards, I'm like, God, why did you do that to me? Like, I, it seems like every time I do this, I get put in these situations. And then, like, the second I asked him that, he said, I'm beating the passivity out of you. And I was just like, oh. Man, that's like a gift, you know, <laughs> because I need to get rid of the passivity. I've inherited passivity from my dad, and I'm trying to get rid of it, but it's hard. You know, it's in my DNA. And, uh, but he's, he's putting me in situations where, where he's allowing the situations to work that out of me, where I'm, I have no choice but to be proactive, and that's pretty neat, you know. Like, all of a sudden, it's a partnership. We're partnering I mean, he's doing all the work, but we're partnering together <laughs> to, to, to change who I am, to transform me from passivity into action, into creativity. Uh, and then the global mission. Um, I know every time, you know, you guys go out, when you guys went to Chile, uh, Dorothy and Otto and Robert and Carol, um, it's just neat hearing everybody come back and tell the stories of what they saw. And in a sense, a little piece of us goes with them every time. And uh, I would just encourage you, especially if you've never been out of the country, it just it rocks your world, and it, it exposes you. The thing I love is, you know, when we were doing the worship today, I was thinking about um, this little Palestinian church that we saw. And just, I mean, it just blew my mind. You know, here I am sitting in Jerusalem going to a Palestinian church, and they're doing the same things we're doing, you know, and it was just cool. And you have, the, you have just that little memory You know, when I was sitting here this morning, just thinking about those guys. Um, And it's just neat to get in in tune with the global church. And it it really gives you a heart for all of God's people. Um, And then lastly, one of Scott's um, goals or his vision for our church is that we would grow. Both that we would grow here and that we would multiply. He said uh, he wanted to have five churches planted in the next 10 years. Uh, We've already got one of those planted. And, you know, for a long time, this is, a, this is another thing I really didn't understand until um, when we were in Iowa at our church there, and the pastor was talking about, because I always thought, we need less churches, not more. There's so many really bad churches out there. Let's combine all the bad churches into the good churches and have a bunch of really good churches, you know, <laughs> quality, not quantity. Um, but our pastor in Iowa, he was talking about it, and he said, you know, 10 years ago, there was one coffee shop. In Des Moines, this is in Des Moines, Iowa. He said, now there's like 50 of them. He said, now, you know, you would think that there's not enough coffee, enough demand to meet that. But the more coffee shops they build, the more people drink coffee. And he was like, you go into any of these shops and they're just packed all the time. And uh, like as soon as he said that, like the light bulb went on, you know. And really you think about it. We're all different. We have different tastes, different likes. We've got to create more spaces for people to come and encounter God and for their lives to be transformed. Um, but really, my heart is for the guy that's been lashed to the mast for the last know, 15, 20 years. We have, we have the power. You know he's, he's had the perseverance, and I'm sure there's times where he's felt like thrown in the towel. but we together, we can come together, and we can help Scott achieve his dream. And really, you know, you think about maybe it's not your dream to have five churches planted out of here in the next 10 years. But to help someone else realize their dream is a beautiful and a holy thing. To take your power, your skills, your God-given gifts, and to use them towards that end. That's a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful thing. It's a great act of humility. It's a great act of kindness. And it's something that, you know, 10 years from now we can all look back on and say, you know, we did it. We did it together. And uh, I want, you know, when Scott retires, I really don't picture him ever, like, retiring, you know, rocking chair type. But, um, but when, it, when he's done, I, I wanted to be on this great accomplishment that, you know, there were so many times where I wanted to give in the towel, throw in the towel, where I wanted to give up. But I, I hung in there. I lashed myself to the mass, and it was worth it. Look, look at all these lives that have been transformed. That's, that's really um, where I think we need to go. You know, it's, we're not, um, our culture is very uh, defiant towards authority. We don't give in to authority really well. But if you think about it, God has placed, if you're here, God has placed God as an authority in your life. Um, and the, the best thing that we can do is to honor that. Honor his authority, which really is honoring God. And let's support Scott in getting these four things done. More people in community groups. Everybody on a ministry team. People going out globally. Um, it would be nice if all of us, you know, at some point in the next five, six years, took a mission trip, one of these mission trips. And if, if we are focused on growing. And I think one of the best ways we can do that is if everybody in here thinks of two people non-believers, people who are seeking, searching in, in your life. Start praying for them. Start praying that they would come in and that they would join our community of transformation. And think about the hard cases, you know, not just the easy ones. Um, but ask God. Just ask him to put two, two people on your mind that you can begin uh, entering into a relationship with a deeper and more intentional relationship. Um. In closing, let's just—is there anybody who needs prayer today? I would would like you guys to stand up, and then the people around you um, gather around, and let's pray for each other. So, if you need prayer for the upcoming week, uh, would you please stand up? You got hardships coming up. If you need prayer for your family, maybe you got something going on with your family. You'd stand up. If you need—if you need healing, if there's sickness in you and you need healing, whether it's emotionally or physically, if you'd stand up. And let's just gather around these people now. Uh, If you're sitting next to somebody standing up, let's pray for these guys. Thank you.